Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 105, How Matt Bell Writes. Matt Bell penned one of my favorite novels of the past few years, Appleseed. And so this interview is kind of like a pinch me moment just to be able to talk to him for an hour and pick his brain. In this podcast, Matt and I dive into how to write poetic prose, a little bit of a tongue twister there, how so much of the writing life is rewriting and many other topics, including how he creates these amazing novels of his. Matt is a master storyteller and educator, someone who I could have interviewed for like three hours and just barely scratched the surface. So on that note, I just want to throw something very quickly out there. I know there's tons of podcast listeners who I can't really communicate outside of just the podcast, and I'm starting to share a ton more thoughts on Twitter and other places. So if you're on Twitter, come find me at the underscore Murfinator. But you can also sign up for podcast updates on happywriter.co by joining our newsletter. And I send a newsletter out every single week of all sorts of cool writing stuff that I find it's completely free. So I just want to say a huge thank you to Matt for his time, for the interview. I get to check off another bucket list interview, which is fun. And now, my friends, here's episode 105 with Matt Bell. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Matt Bell. Matt Bell is the author of three novels, including his most recent, Appleseed, which was a New York Times notable book. I also cannot sing the praises of this novel enough. It is unlike anything you've ever read before. And if you're looking for just a, like a engrossing uh speculative fiction. It's just, it is absolutely fantastic and beautifully written. Total side note, that was not in my script, but I'm throwing it in there. Matt is also the author of the short story collection, A Tree or Person or Wall, a nonfiction book about the classic video game Baldur's Gate 2, as well as several other titles. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, Esquire, Tin House, Fairytale Review, American Short Stories, Orion, and many other publications. Publications a native of Michigan, the Mitten. He now teaches creative writing at Arizona State University. Most excitingly, and what I am just so thrilled to talk about, Matt's upcoming craft writing book, Refuse to Be Done, a, Naive, a Guide to Novel Writing, Rewriting, and Revision, will be published on March 22nd, 2022. I've gotten a sneak peek, and I can tell you I cannot wait for this book to be out in the world. Matt, welcome. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. And I want to start, I wanted to dive right into it. There's so many topics we, we could go into, um, but let's just dive right into it. Refuse to be Done um, is your upcoming craft writing book that I I've um, was lucky, lucky enough to get an arc of. I've been reading through it and it is fantastic. But I, I want to start out with with like going up a level from from that, which is like, it's no secret. There's like a million craft writing books out there. Um, and so as you were thinking about this writing about craft, like what is it you wanted to bring that's different? Like what is your unique kind of offering that you wanted to, to bring to life in this book? Uh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, there are a lot of craft books. You know, I'm in, I'm in my home office and there's a, a shelf here that's like all yeah. my teaching books, you know, and it's like floor to ceiling with sort of craft books and things. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that uh, that this grew out of was uh, was really a focus on revision and rewriting. That, yeah. that wasn't something that most craft books focused on, um, and, uh, and especially in like a really uh, practical way. I feel like when I was a creative writing student, I was always like required to do revisions. You know, you turn a revision at the end of workshop or something, but it was very rarely taught how to revise. 
Um, and especially as I started writing like novel length things, it was like, well, how, how do you make this 300 page mess of first draft into sort of, you know, uh, uh, the kind of book you find on the shelves. Um, and so, you know, that uh, started out as just me sort of learning for my own use. And then it grew into a craft talk version. I used to give like an hour lecture on revision was sort of my traveling show when I'd be invited somewhere to talk about uh, about creative writing. Um, and, uh, and then eventually that became sort of the, the seat of this book. Um, but really trying to focus on uh, the really practical sort of actionable things a writer can do uh, for revising and writing at every stage of the process. Because of course you revise even as you're generating. Um, but uh, I think that's maybe that sort of focus on yeah. that is probably the biggest difference. Why, why do you think it is uh, firstly, let me actually back up. I'm so happy that um, it, it's all about revision and rewriting because I think, again, I think there's tends to be this perception that um, successful writers sit down and words flow out of them magically and perfectly onto the page, never to be looked at again. You know, and I know, I know, like Faulkner said, he didn't revise like as I lay dying, which like I'm like I'm a little like okay, whatever. But but I'm so happy because revision is such a big part of this whole journey why why do you think it is though that there's not been a really good concerted effort to unpack how to do it like we have lots of plots on book or books on plot lots of books right. on character why not a lot of books on revision i don't know i mean it's it, it maybe it's uh maybe because it sounds more like work than uh <laughs> than like how to write a screenplay in 14 days does <laughs> yeah right right um and of course, everybody I know who writes screenplays does draft after draft after draft too, right? Like that's also, of course, that way. But I think a lot of um, a lot of craft books are focused on uh, making it sound easy, especially the sort of more prescriptive kind. I do think that it uh, it can feel prescriptive in a way to sort of be like these are the things you have to fix. You know, I think I, hopefully mine's not approaching it from a like fix point of view for the most part. Um, I think maybe that's part of it. I also think it's maybe not something a lot of people are good at talking about. I feel like um, revision is difficult and it is hard to know what to do. Uh, I think the, the maybe the main insight that eventually became this book for me in my own process was trying to find uh, things that were small enough I could complete them like make the book good was, was too big of a task, right? You know, it's sort of like an impossibility, <laughs> yeah. make the book good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, work on all the dialogue in the book was a thing you could like begin and then finish, you know, go beginning to end and like make the dialogue better or work yeah. on the first paragraph of every scene was the thing I could do from beginning to end. And sort of realizing that there are these ways to make this insurmountable task something of a certain size was um, was for me sort of the way to to see into it. Um, I think when I was in school, it was usually more of a diagnosis kind of thing, right? You'd show up in the workshop, be like, "This is what's wrong with the story. This was not yeah, working right. the story." But the repair part didn't come in as much. Um, yeah. and in some ways, it's it's easier to say what's wrong than to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot I'm of, I'm thinking about all the places that applies in life. I'm like, boy, right. You talk about <laughs> parenting relationships, like that just goes down the line of places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like a lot of, a lot of uh, punch in those words. Do, do you think there's a piece of this? As you're talking, I was thinking about revision. And um, so in our, our community and our, our group of writers, it's one of the, like the hot topics that, that comes up a lot, which is why I was just so excited to see your book. Um, I caught wind of it on Twitter and then of course I immediately looked it up and then I was like, okay, this is perfect. And then here we are it, because revision is such a big kind of discussion that we're having. Um, and so I'm wondering, do you think part of what makes revision difficult to be not overly prescriptive, but exact, right? Exacting right. on, do you think part of the trouble with it is that unlike plot, which kind of is like starts as like tabula rasa. You know, like when you start a story, every story kind of starts as nothing. When you get to revision, there's one billion, fulfilling, trillion combinations of what a story could be at that point in many different forms. And so trying to find a unifying system is hard. <laughs> it sounds really challenging to like think about what is what is short enough? What, what do stories share in enough frequency that you can even start to kind of clump them together is this making any sense at all no i think that's right it's sort of like okay. trying to find the suggestions for how to revise like a plot without um 
making it prescriptive without saying like you need yeah. these beats at this time so like every book every story should work like this like how do you find something that fits sort of uh fits lots of different kind of books you know um i think one of the things that's maybe aided me as a as a teacher of writing is that i don't think people should necessarily write books like i write you know um right. like I, I don't i'm not operating from a if everybody wrote like me we'd be in good shape kind of way and i think very few students are taking one of my classes being like I want to write one of these weird ass books, Matt Bell writes, you know? Um, <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, that, that trying to find ways to sort of help people with whatever they're doing or wherever they're coming from, whatever tradition they're working in means that you look for, for things that work in lots of different ways. Um, I also think, you know, sometimes it's just having options, right? There's not one, one answer that fits everything. Um, I think one of the, the things that's really hard about approaching revision is the thing you're always asking them to do is something that usually doesn't feel very good, which is make a thing that works good enough worse so that it can maybe work great. You know, like mm. um, your first draft is like imperfect, but it kind of holds together and it costs you a lot to make it. And usually revision is like, OK, now like break it so you can put the pieces back in a better way. And it takes a bit to like have the the resilience or the, or the belief to do that, um, yeah. especially when you're starting out. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting point. I've never thought of revision as potentially breaking something to yeah. make it better. Um, I always just kind of think of my own fi fiction as a series of becoming more and more broken the, the further it goes, you know, so it's <laughs> just continually on that. I'm like, it, it can get right? better. That's that happens. It gets better as you keep going. That's so interesting. Um, <laughs> what I, I want to ask you one last question on revision, just cause I think I'm like, boy, it's just such a great, it's just such a great, I'm so, I'm so happy for this book to be in the world. Um, what, Okay. So when you think about the amount of time you spend, right? Because we don't want to be prescriptive and say any writer should do any one thing, but the amount of time you spend on um, the different stages of writing, and let's just very, let's just very cleanly clump it up as like designing your book, right? So any research or plotting or anything outlining you do ahead of time, the actual first draft, and then the revision process. So let's leave publication out altogether. Like what percent of the time on a novel do you think you're spending in each one of those three blocks as it adds up to like a hundred percent of the time you spend? Yeah, I think um, I rarely start from like a, like much of an outline sometimes with nothing. So um, the first draft tends to be very like exploratory and generative and, I, and depending on the book that's taken me, let's say a year, right? Like I think mean, yeah. most of my novels, but about a year for the a first sort of generative exploratory draft. Um, the novel I'm working on now and Appleseed, I only wrote like a partial first draft. I, at some point I was like, okay, I know the material now I'll stop. And then I usually write like an outline after that and then start over. And so that, if that first draft takes a year, the second draft now writing from an outline based on that first generative draft, that would take me about the same amount of time. So it takes mm -hmm. me a year to write a first draft, takes me a year to write a second draft. And then, uh, and then hopefully I'm in a place where I'm sort of like polishing and that's taking me about half as much. So if, you know, like uh, if a year first draft, year for second draft, half a year for a third draft, if that's all I'm doing, right? Like that's the only thing I'm working on. Yeah. Um, but of course, when you start publishing books, you end up having like your last book needs attention while you're writing the next <laughs> book. And it's sort of your, yeah, your, yeah. your time is a yeah. little more fractured. Um, yeah. I don't know that's a hard and fast rule, but that's been about how it's worked for me is this yeah. sort of like each stage is about the same or maybe a little shorter and later. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting and maybe the moral of the story, especially for newer writers out there, is that you should be expecting. I think sometimes newer writers read their first draft, and I I did I can I can have I have very vivid memories of this reading your first draft and thinking, oh my god, I thought this would be better, and this is so awful. I'm almost oh, embarrassed yeah. it came from me. Like. Yeah even though no one will read it, I'm still embarrassed it exists. It's so bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I think, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a shell shock that happens at that point, yeah. almost like I'm just going to quit because maybe, maybe there's a belief down there that your first draft needs to be better than what it is. And I think just the right. point to illustrate here is that like so much of good writing is happens after that first draft is done like like you'll probably wind up rewriting if not every paragraph every sentence 
in your novel. And that's, that is part of, or it's not part of it. It can be, and almost always is part of the process, except for if you're William Faulkner writing as I lay dying um, outside of that one instance. Yeah. yeah but that's part and, you of know, it. Maybe we all get a gift novel where we write it in six weeks we're done, but it's not like he wrote right. all his books that way. You know, that's like right. Campus's gift novel. Right. Um, and that book got revised too. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it did. I mean, you sort of, there's manuscript copies of it, right? You know, right. Um, the copy I have of it is like the restored text, right? Like right. it's sort of like, you know, it's been unedited. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I see in my students sometimes uh, they've got 90% of a novel. It's going pretty well, but it's the first draft of the novel. And then they like won't write that last 10%. You can feel the like, I'm going to have to face the book when I hit yeah. it, you know? And I know, God, I remember finishing the first draft of my, um, of, of In the House on the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, and I got done with it. And I was, I was happy with it. I'd worked hard on it. But I was also like, this is not quite a novel. It's like a, no it's like a novel length document, you know? Okay. Um, and then when I finished the second draft of it, I was like, oh, that's going to be a book. Like, it, like it felt mm. like a book. It was so different, you know? Um, but the first draft was discouraging except for that it all existed which was incredibly exciting um, right. some of both those things at once right it's like yeah, oh my god yeah, i wrote a whole yeah. novel i'm like cool but it's definitely not something i should show to someone <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right, right. And, and yeah you're right living with that can be um difficult uh but it helps to know that other people do that you know i i think some of the writers i think of as the most meticulous and sort of like beautiful both plotters and sentence writers someone like lauren groff i know like writes a first draft of every novel and just like puts it in a drawer and doesn't look at it and starts over. Um, wow, I did and not she, know that. She talks, and she talks about um, the first draft, she figures out the plot and the second draft, she writes the book, you know, and that if she had to worry about making like the kind of sentences she makes in a first draft, she couldn't write, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that book is so started, good. I started Matrix, it. You know, oh my yeah. gosh, I started it last night. And I, I was like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, oh, I read it over it Christmas is, break and really loved it. Good. It is, it is a good, uh, yeah, I, I held up the book, The Matrix, because um, it's by Lauren Groff. I just started it last night. So the timing is absolutely perfect on it. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, I, I want to talk a little bit um, about prose. And this yeah. is a topic I have not been able to talk a lot about on the podcast for one reason or the other. Um, it's immediately apparent when you read Appleseed, right? The mm -hmm. first couple pages you read Appleseed, you immediately, my response was, firstly, I'm dealing with a master storyteller, which I like to know on those first few pages because you just get to relax <laughs> a little bit. You don't have mm -hmm. to worry about the book. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm in good hands. And that's super snooty, but I don't care. That's I like that. I like that feeling. No, that's good to hear. I'm glad it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, immediately I was like, okay, something special is happening here. The second thing is that your prose is so um, beautiful and detailed and um, intimate and specific. It, it seems almost impossible that a human could write it when I was reading it. I was like, okay, well, now I feel awful about my own capabilities. But what I want to <laughs> ask, what I want to ask, because I've, I've gotten this question a bunch and I have absolutely no answer, which is if a writer is sitting, reading their own work, and they're saying, you know what, I really want to improve my prose game. I, I really want to make each sentence uh, really sing more than it does. What are some just practical ways that they can improve their sentence level construction so that it is more poetic instead of maybe um, descriptive? Yeah. Um, you know, I think... Uh... I think I learned when I was in grad school that I really cared a lot about that. And that wasn't the language we used in workshop a lot. You know, we talked about story and character, but yeah. we really talked about prose, except to be like, that's good. Um, <laughs> and uh, which is nice, you know, but, but it didn't give me some of that language. Uh, I think there's a, there's a book by Virginia Tuft called Syntax of Style that I suggest to people a lot, which is this, it's a, she's a grammarian. It's a, a, but it breaks down like, it's almost like an encyclopedia of like sentence possibilities. It's like, here are all the different parts of the sentence and here's them deployed a bunch of different ways. And, uh, and the examples are good in the book, but what it really does is it lets you like name some of what you see. So you start recognizing something like, um, like a left branching sentence where all the clauses are to the left of like the, uh, the main noun and verb, you know, the subject mm -hmm. verb. And so you see like, you can create this pile up of clauses before you get to the thing that happens. And then you see that as a possibility. Um, 
or, or you can make a right branch of yours, which is the opposite, right? Um, and and so learning some of the language for sentence parts is part of it, um, which I think is helpful. I uh, I do I still do a lot of imitation. I see a sentence I like and I type it out and then I dump out all the parts and like take out all, all you know like kind of mad lib it almost right yeah, like can yeah. I just like take all the meat off the bones and make my own thing, um, which lets you see how the kind of diction you work with can be applied to that kind of syntax. Um, I read aloud constantly um, as I'm as I'm drafting as I'm revising. Um, even at the very end, the last thing I did with Appleseed before I sent it to my uh, agent was read the whole thing aloud end to end, like oh, wow. wandering around wow. my house for like three days with a yeah. you know e-reader reading to myself. Um, so so you know I think that that sort of thinking of it as like a as an acoustic sort of oral thing is is probably part of that. Um, and then I think remembering that. Uh, uh, I think style is mostly sentence variety, even more than it is like interior hmm. sentence choices. It's actually like the difference in like sentence length almost that creates sentence construction that creates that feeling of dynamic sort of prose. So even if you can write with pretty plain language and write really dynamic prose just by varying your, your sort of sentence constructions. Um, is any of that helpful? No, totally. Well, no, that, that was super, it's super interesting to hear that um, sentence structure and length do, does that much work. I, it, it's funny because in, I, now I got to go read some of your stuff to start unpacking this and like seeing it for myself, but it's interesting to hear um, that those are the things you're considering, but when you're, when you're doing your first draft and composing, are you writing in roughly that kind of language or is that something actually that, you go back and in the revision process, you're actually looking to spice it up for lack of a better. Sure. Term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Both. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm always trying to write the best prose I can. Right. Part of the, yeah. the, the pleasure day to day is writing good prose um, and playing at the sentence level. Um, I, I do think that uh, I can't do everything at once in a first draft. Um, mm -hmm. So like today I was writing a scene in which like the, like the plot had to make like a big move, like a big thing had to happen. And it's just like the most wooden prose because the getting people to just like do the thing I need them to do was so much work, you know? Yeah. Um, and like start focusing on that. And I know like, I mean, even like the dialogue in the scene is like really straightforward. People are just like, I need this thing to happen. They're like, well, I don't want it to happen. What's going to happen? Well, I don't want it to happen still. And then it happens. And I'm like, wow, this is a really bad scene. But now the event is on the page, right? Yeah, I'll go right. back and I'll make it better. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes, like, I could write, like, narration or exposition at, like, high poetic language forever. But sometimes, like, event is hard to do the first time out. So there is some, like, making it better as you go. Um, hopefully in a final draft, you have a totality of effect where everything is working, right? The right. plot's working and the events working, the dialogue's great and the sentences are beautiful, but it is very rare for me to have like every element in place in a first draft, even if I'm trying and what's wrong will be different from scene to scene. Yeah. Some scenes, the language will be great, but it's, it's baggy. Some of the, the event is perfect, but like the dialogue is terrible or, you know, um, It'd be great yeah. to be bad at the same thing for the whole draft, but that's yeah, make it easier, right? <laughs> get edited, it's so much easier. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's it. It's um, that 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 whole idea of writing sentence level prose is, um, it's so interesting, and and I think that there's, it, it's it's one of those things, at least for me, that seems like it's kind of like a lifelong pursuit. It's almost like playing golf. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like no matter how good of a shot you have at golf, you could probably do a little bit better. And mm -hmm. it kind of feels that way a little bit because um, there's so much, how, how do I want to say this? It seems as if to a certain degree, we work within certain forms in story, especially in Western storytelling, right? We have certain forms, but, but when you get down to the sentence level, there's just infinite possibilities of the way you can yeah. say, you know, like I just held up Lauren Groff's book. And if you were to write that, you could write it a million different ways showing the Absolutely. same image. And there's just something about the open-endedness of that, that it seems like it's never going to end. Just being like, oh, could I have written that better? You know what I mean? Like, could I have made that sentence better? Um, so talking about books, I see a bookshelf behind you. One of, I've never seen this before. So I had to, I, I got to bring it up. One of the most interesting things uh, that I found when, as I was researching you is that on your website, you post every book you've read for like 15 years, right? Since 2006. Is that right? Yeah. 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 What's the count at this point? Like how many books have you posted up there? Like, uh, 
by now. Oh. I mean, it's got to be thousands, over a thousand, I bet. I mean, if you're reading- over a thousand for sure, because the goal is usually to read a hundred books a year. And some years I fall short, and some years I occasionally I've done a lot more. Um, so I would say it's at least fifteen hundred books, and it wow. might be a little more than that. Yeah. What What does that what does that practice open up for you? Like what, what makes that an important thing for you? Sure. I mean, you know, obviously the first thing is that I like to read, right? So yeah, like, right, 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 like, right. There's just the part where it's just enjoyable. Um, you know, but I, I do think, uh, I really think I write because I'm a reader, like the, the sort of mm-hmm. initial urge to write, you know, when I first started was really, um, purely sort of imitative. It was just like, you know, um, uh, like a really smart way to say it is Elaine Scary would talk about like seeing a seeing a beautiful sunset makes you want to like paint a picture of a beautiful sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this like you encounter something that moves you and you want to make something like it. And I think like that's the sort of initial urge. So and that's still the case. You know, if I'm not reading good books, I don't want to write. Like I mean, not yeah. reading will eventually. I, I will just stop writing if I'm not reading. And um, and I also think like when I'm not reading well, I write poorly. Like there is a sort of input, a good, mm. good art goes in, good art comes out. Um, you know, I know people who are afraid of influence or get thrown off by people's strong voices or something, but um, I don't know, over the three or four years it takes to write a novel, like being thrown off by a strong sentence for a couple of days, get evened out, like it'll be okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, like- yeah, it's probably gonna work <laughs> out for you. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like, it might make you feel funny for a little bit, but I don't know. I, I mean, so in some ways it's, it's just that, but, um, but I don't know. I, I love reading. I want to read. And it does feel like it's part of the the sort of job, both as a writer, but also as a teacher. Like I yeah. think um, my students write in a lot of different genres and do lots of different kind of things. And so I try to read really widely so I can be useful to them. Yeah. And, and so, and so in the tracking of it, I think that's what's so interesting to me is like, you know, like keeping track of that for so long and posting it. Is there something that is important to you about that specific part of it? Not just the reading part, but the actual like, yeah, keep keep keeping tabs for 15 years on every book. I mean, it's, I, I, I love it. I, it's inspiring, but like, what, what, what does it light up for you? I mean, there's some part of it that's just like uh, anything you uh, you track, you'll do more of. So yeah, like yeah, it does like, right. you know, like you like read a little more, you pay, it's just yeah. like you're a little more intentful about it. Um, I do think it's like a weird kind of, um, it's a weird kind of biography. You look back and you're like, oh, that's what I was reading that year. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking about the year. I kind of remember that. Or um, I think uh, certainly can look at like the years I was writing any particular book, you know, and you can see like your research and you can see people whose work meant a lot to you that you're returning to while you're working on that. Um, there's probably a, a, there's, it could be an interesting thing to compare down the line, you know, the timeline of like the work you're producing versus the, the books you were reading. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, I do think like many things, like just having that list to go back to reminds you of things you would have forgotten otherwise. Yeah, um, right. It's amazing. How often I look back at what I was reading and like, you know, in December, look at my January on the website, it's alphabetical, but I, I have a list where it's like what I read each month. Um, and you look back and you're like, God, that was this year. Like the, I was thinking about that this year. I was, you know, right. I was working through all that person's books and it, it, it gives you a way to hold on to, to time, to make time tangible or visible. Yeah. Feels like another part of that practice. Uh, yeah. Especially now when like time feels circular. Right? <laughs> circular. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like what, what is happening in our world today? Um, right. that, yeah, that, that is so interesting. And I, and I, um, I saw that it seemed like there was definite clumpings. Like there, there were some years where it's like, oh, I can tell you're really into Stephen King or like C.S. Right. Lewis or so. it, it, it was interesting yeah. to see that. And I, 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 um, I, I think we all kind of follow that. But I was like, boy, this is such a cool thing. It's almost, um, firstly, I do think um, if you are struggling to write, like you said, reading a bajillion pages and books. Um, it just, it just will get those words flowing through. It just gets that creativity flowing, which is so powerful. It's also some sort of interesting in a way, um, like cross-section of you. Like as I was looking through it, I was, I was thinking about how, like, like how we, like, like of you, like just publicly showing all of this stuff. There was just something about it that was like, oh, I kind of got to know you a little bit. Yeah. absolutely weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Another question people are going to ask is how in the world are you reading a hundred books a year? 
Like, like, are you speed right. reader? Like, how, how are you powering through that many books in one single? I mean, I do think I, I must read pretty fast, right? But like, yeah, it's two books a week. So it's not like an insane thing, you know, although, you know, when you read a thousand page book, it takes a minute. Um, right. But I, I, I do listen to, to audiobooks when I run. So, you know, there's sort of a, yeah, a God forbid you do only one thing at a time, right? You know, yeah, sort of a yeah, double, yeah. Of, double uh, dip in there. Yeah. Run 30 miles a week. You can also, <laughs> that means you can read for, you know, five or six hours extra. Um, so, so there's some of that. Uh, but again, it's just sort of like what you want to spend your time on. I think people, yeah. God, there's so much like, uh, especially I think as we see each other on social media performing our sort of selves, you know, um, people feel really guilty. Like I don't read as much as this person. I don't do this or, you know, but like everybody does what they want to do. Um, and then I think there's the kind of reading you do some books, you just, you're just reading. It's just like, I, I don't have to have a PhD dissertation on every book I read, you know, like sometimes it's right. just like, I had that experience and that's fine. And then yeah. there are books that you're reading and thinking about a little more deeply and maybe you go a different pace. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I don't know, it's, it's, it's part of built into my daily life. It's part of how I'm spending my time as opposed to it being like, I'm, I got something to prove by reading a hundred yeah, books a year or yeah. something, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. It's inspirational. It's, it's amazing. I mean, like it's, uh, it's so, man, I, I, I saw that and I was like, there's something about this that, you know, sometimes you touch on something and you're like, I don't know what yet is super important to me about it but i can tell there's something right. in this that i'm gonna yeah. later be like oh that that kicked off this thought seeing your list of books kind of did that for me for some reason there's just something that i was like there's something in this that i'm really interested in okay so i have, I have one last kind of chunk of questions before we get into our final questions sure. um and, and what, what i wanted to ask you about as i was reading apple seed um i i was thinking about it as a writer which is not you know it is what it is i can't change myself yeah. at this point no of course yeah. And one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about is your scene construction and, and how much of, of the scene are you planning out and blocking out? Because some of them, there's a lot happening within kind of one passage of time, moving backwards and forwards. How much of that are you thinking through and plotting out? Um, and or are you sitting, I guess it'd be an or, or are you sitting down, letting the scene flow and then kind of revising it later? I think um, I think in a first draft, I'm usually sometimes I sometimes I know what's going to happen in the scene or what needs to happen in the scene. Not mm -hmm. always, but you know, like um, uh, this is the scene where X happens, and I know that much about it. And then it's like, how does it play out? And it's sort of discovered. But I I think in revision, I very often will rewrite a screen a scene more or less from scratch um, because I really believe there's like there's the the scene you can write while you're discovering the scene and then mm -hmm. there's the scene you can write with like the full knowledge of what happens in the scene um and that even changes the kind of sentences right maybe that's going back to like the Groff example right like right. knowing what happens in the book allows you to write a different kind of prose um so, th so that can be part of it it's like it's a discovery version where i'm sort of just finding my way through it um my scenes are often a little baggy in a first draft because i don't quite know or it takes people a while to commit to action um I do think in the last third of a book, you write a different kind of scene because the possibilities have gone down. Yeah, you right. know, there's this sort of funneling <laughs> toward like yeah. the inevitable yeah. and like the scenes that you do write feel they're like the only thing that could happen, which is a different kind of scene at the beginning where it's like, what are we doing here? And the characters <laughs> are trying to figure it out too. And then hopefully you smooth some of that out as you yeah. revise. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of discovery inside the scene as I'm writing. Um, but I, I hopefully I'm getting better at scene blocking, as you said, as a go, I do feel like the scenes in Appleseed are better scenes than the scenes in my, my previous books. I worked really hard on that, I think in, yeah. a, in a certain way. Yeah. 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 I'm interested as I, you know, kind of continue all these interviews and, and get to talk to so many amazing authors. I'm, I'm always interested in the balance between the, like, I, and maybe this isn't the right term. So forgive me if, if it's not, but like this left brain and right brain yeah. interaction in the writing process, like how much, how much thinking and planning right. and strategizing is, is good for one author. And, and again, this is singular, right? Cause there is no rules. Here. There right. are no rules, yeah, here. Absolutely. But, but, but for this one author, what, what is that right balance? And then um, how much, at, at what point does that tip over and almost become restrictive? I think one of the, I think one of the things a lot of writers are afraid of as they think about the planning side of it right. is, is creative constriction. I get that. I totally understand that. So I'm always interested to kind of understand for each writer, like what's that balance 
um, is there consistency? So sometimes I wonder that too, yeah. like, you know, is there like a human in Western, you know, literature, do we have some sort of consistent right. level of like left first, right? The jury's out. Um, but it's always, it's always, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing it makes me, me think of in like this sort of constriction of planning is, um, there's both like the anxiety of not having a plan. What, what am I doing? Where am I going? Yeah. And then feel constricted. And one thing I've been, uh, thinking about a lot and suggesting a lot is, uh, especially in like a first draft where you're kind of, if you're, if you're not ready for an outline, but you want somewhere to go is to at least think of like the on deck scene. There's like the scene that's up to bat that you're writing. And like, when I'm done writing this scene, I'm going to write that scene just so you have mm -hmm. like, cause, cause novels build on cause and effect change. Right. So right. like, sort of like you're building the, you're building the cause for the scene you've seen on deck in the scene you're writing. And then when that one gets up to bat, like what's the next one. And like that little bit of like, I can see that far is helpful to me. Um, and then in scene design, not really even designed as I'm writing a scene. One of the ways I I've learned to sort of evaluate it is like, did anything change in this scene? Like it is something, um, mm. sometimes even like a binary, like a person was alive and now they're dead. Well, something <laughs> happened in that scene. Yeah. Person was happy. Now they're sad versus rich. Yeah. Now they're poor. A person didn't have this thing they want. Now they have it. They, they still don't have it, but they learned this thing about how they'll get it. And like, as long as like a change has happened, then a scene has happened. And if it's, if, if it's static, then I somehow haven't found, the like potentiality of that scene yet. Yeah. Um, and so I'm writing toward the moment where change happens in every scene and that change creates the next scene. And so mm -hmm. I think like that has helped me a lot in writing better scenes that some, before yeah. I can break away, something has to have changed. That what, what you just said was like such a good, like, like punch of the story, like, like one part of storytelling craft, that's really powerful. And I'm going to paraphrase because I won't get a word for it, but you said, you know, I'm writing in each scene, I'm writing towards the change that happens and then building upon that in the next scene. And that is kind of the, the, in a way, since storytelling is oftentimes linear, that is like the sequencing of how a story progresses. And, but that's such a simple, yep. Yep. Powerful way of saying it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I love yeah. that. It, okay. I mean, it's amazing how like hard all this stuff is and <laughs> yeah. also how simple it is. Right. Yeah. Like it's like, it's yeah. both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes the advice of like, just sit down every day and write. Um, it's like, yeah, right. sure. Okay. Like what about the rest right. of my life and all the yeah. self-doubt and all the grossness that I'm carrying to the desk each day? Like, what do I do with that? Um, right. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So he here we are once again, uh, our time has evaporated in front of my eyes. I looked down at the time and I was like, oh boy. Uh, and so what we're going to do is, is we're going to transition to our final questions, our final six questions. Um, and I get to ask these questions to every single guest on the podcast. And I, I love asking these questions for two reasons. The first reason is I just like the answers and I get to do what I want. It's my show. Second reason is um, so much of the idea of the, this podcast is that uh, as a writer, your most one of your most important tasks is to figure out how you as an individual writer, put words on the page, not how somebody else does it, not the right way, not the like super academic or the literary way, like how you as an individual put words on the page. Because once you can figure that out, a lot will open up. And my hope is that yeah. as you hear these answers, all these amazing, wonderful authors that have, have been on the show, you'll realize nobody gives the same answer. Everyone's different all the authors did their work and they know how they put words on the page. Right. And that's, that is, that is so important. And I, I hope this inspires that maybe entertains a little bit, um, gives the ideas, but really reinforces this idea that it's about you as the writer, be, be empowered and that it's about you. So with that first, my preamble done and wrapped up, here's the first question, which is, um, how do you view yourself as a storyteller? in this world? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question, right? Like who are you writing for? What are the books supposed to do? You know, I, I, I think the, the day-to-day -day writing, I think is really something that feels really personal to me. It's something that I'm, is part of my own sort of practice of thinking and feeling and, and being a person. Um, but I do hope the books are, are useful to other people. First, the story said, how do you view yourself as a storyteller? My first answer, if you said, how do you view yourself as a writer? I would say as a storyteller, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like that seems to me that, the first thing is to offer that sort of experience of a, of a story well told, you know, yeah. especially the most important thing. But I, 
I don't know. I, I hope not. My novels do for me what what other people's did for for me, which or my novels do for other people what yeah. mine did for me, which is um, which is to help you make sense of your your yourself in the world. And um, I think the best thing a, a book often does is uh, link you to other people and to uh, the kind of thoughts that you didn't think anyone else had and that you didn't think other people felt that way. And it sort of like brings you into a community of people who are thinking about something or or caring about something or or trying to be a certain way and i i think there's a lot of um uh sort of shared endeavor of having the kind of person who's read a certain kind of book or a kind of person who's gone through a certain novel together i mean even you holding up groff's book earlier is like we'll be in the community of people who have read that book yeah. and felt those things and been on that journey it feels like that's an exciting thing that your novels can offer uh people in the world oh, that's wonderful that's beautiful okay uh, question number two, what is the one word you would use that best describes you? Oh, yeah. So uh, this might have been the easiest one of these for me. I think it's probably like <laughs> earnest. Okay. Earnest. <laughs> which, I, which I am very earnest in the work. Okay. And uh, and I'm not ironic very often. I don't think there's like a huge ironic sort of component to my work. Um, even Appleseed sort of book reviews are like, this is a very earnest book. Like mm. I think the books sort of like mean what they're about. And I, I think my my general public persona is probably similar in that like, I'm like I actually care about this, right? It's not just yeah. like, like I'm not making fun of it or something. Um, so maybe earnest. Oh, I love that. I love that. And and this reinforces my preamble. I I think I've I don't know if I've ever heard a guest say earnest. Um, you might right. be the first one. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's just I think it's, it's just, an unlikable trait, probably, but you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's, especially for a storyteller, you know, I mean, like to, to, to be earnest in storytelling is a really holy endeavor. It's, it's a really special cause because whatever is the inverse of being earnest, deceptive, maybe, I don't know, um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it leads to propaganda, you know? And so like, right. yeah. I think it's important for storytelling to be earnest and honest and yeah. yeah. Anyways. Okay. Question number three, if you had to pick a spirit book. Okay. So this is a book that if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as this book, this would be the book right. that you would choose. The asterisk being you cannot pick your own book. It has to be right. a book that is not Oh yours. God, the horror of coming back to life <laughs> is your own book. God, what a nightmare. You're like, I never want to relive that. Um, you know, the the book that's that's meant the most to me for the longest is is probably Dennis Johnson, Jesus' son, which is, you know, I just like mm. deeply, deeply love and is, is probably one of the, uh, it's kind of book we were talking about earlier, like a book that I um, uh, read when I was 20 or 21. And, and uh, it, it felt a way it, you know, was talking about things that I hadn't heard other people talk about. I didn't know other people felt that way. And it's really sort of central to me. And to and even though I don't write anything like Dennis Johnson writes, I think like some foundational sort of um, uh, experience there that's really central to me as a person and as a writer. Mm. And that was Jesus' son? Jesus's son by Dennis. Jesus's son. Yep. Okay. Um, I have not read that and I'll put it on my, read it. It's good. yeah, I'm going to yeah. put on my, to be read. Is it, is it, um, about Jesus or is, or, or. No, 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 no. It's okay. that's from a, uh, it's about, uh, uh, to some extent about heroin. It's from a Lou Reed song. Got when it. I'm okay. rushing on my run, I feel just like Jesus's son. Got it, Lou got Reed's it. heroin. Okay. So, okay. um, yeah, so it's a heroin reference, not, but it is partly a book about, um, uh, the character whose name is, his name is in the book. People call him fuckhead. So, uh, yeah. his, uh, uh, he has this experience of, uh, dr drug experiences are giving him access to a faith like experience mm -hmm. as he sobers up, he's sort of losing access to this other world. Um, but it's a really, uh, yeah, really beautiful book of short stories that are oh, all wow. linked about the same character. Okay. Super interesting. Okay. Question number four, is there a specific tool, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything at all that you absolutely must have to write? I don't think so. You know, I, I, I have all those things, right. I don't, I don't handwrite very often. I do write almost entirely, you know, on the, on the computer, but um, you know, I think uh, music is really important to me. Every book sort of accrues its own soundtrack. And, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I used to travel and, and try to write in hotel rooms and different things as I was on the road. And I found that if I, kept my playlist like on my phone i could like make a portable office wherever i went and it felt oh, cool. you know, like the music that went with that book 
was like a little bubble I could like turn on and, and work. So maybe in some ways it's the, whatever the the music each book requires becomes the tool for that book in some ways. I totally get that. I, I totally, in fact, this morning I was writing a, a scene that was really intense um, to write. It was like a riot scene. And I put on the Sicario soundtrack. Yeah. Have you ever seen sure. that movie? Yeah. 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 What a, what a movie that was, but it just immediately, it was like, it was like an immediate feeling of being yeah. the right kind of music. Cause you, I couldn't play like mm-hmm. Bach and try and write a right. I mean, right. I could, right. it could be yeah. done, but I couldn't do it, you know, mismatch yeah. anyways. Okay. Movie um, soundtracks are so good. Cause they're already dramatic, right? right? Like they're sort of like, yeah, they're, they're yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I've probably logged a million hours on the interstellar soundtrack, you know, like, right. Like that yeah, yeah, so yeah. Good. Uh, okay. Is that Clint Mansell too? No, um, that is no, um, um, Hans. Uh, Zimmer? I cannot believe. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was about yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clint, yeah, Clint Mansell though yeah. is another one. Man, like the yeah. Fountain soundtrack. Do you remember that? Movie? The Fountain soundtrack is what oh. I was thinking. Of. I write to the Fountain soundtrack all the time. Oh, yeah, man. Death is the Road to Oz. Like, oh my gosh. That yeah. movie too <laughs> screwed me up. Like, I saw that movie in college, yeah. and it like straight messed me up. Like it was so meta yeah. and crazy. I was like, wait, what? He's where? Right. Like what's ha- it took me a long time to un- realize even what was happening. And then uh-huh. was coming. Okay, question number five. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Yeah, I, you know, I think I get better at it over time. I, I think probably because you've gone through them enough times, you know. I yeah. think um uh, I think, you know, in some ways this is a, maybe like a, it'll sound like a cheesy answer for some people, but I, I think a lot about, um, uh, like, uh, meditating and sort of meditation practice. And, and for me, one of the things that I think I learned doing that was this sort of, um, and I'm, I'm bobbling probably the explanation of it, but this way in which like, you don't try to avoid your feelings, you just sort of acknowledge them, but you also yeah. don't become consumed by them. You know, it's like, like, it's sort of like naming the thing, like I'm feeling anxious, you don't mm-hmm. try to stop feeling anxious. You just let it be there, but, it, but you're not your anxiety. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I I've said that's part of it for me is sort of like, I'm, I'm being envious and being jealous of being anxious and just sort of letting those things ride without trying to stop them is helpful. Um, I also think I learned, uh, pretty early on that like my own feelings about my work are not very indicative of how well I'm working at any particular time. Oh, um, there's always a part of every novel where you're bored to shit of the thing and you just keep working and you're like later i'm gonna have to like i'm gonna mm-hmm. do so much work to the stuff i wrote when i was bored but then it's more or less as good as the other stuff you know it's sort of like i write within a certain bounds every day and how good or bad it feels doesn't have that much to do with it the 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 work is about the same whether i felt amazing doing it or mm. i felt terrible that's so interesting. There's like a whole nother podcast on that topic. You just kind of opened up this whole like, um, like series of thoughts of like the relationship between like your feelings and writing. So it's something I haven't explored a lot on the show too, yeah. both as you're writing, but then also when you're not at the desk, like your relationships yeah. to your emotions and how you deal with those emotions. Boy, you talk about something that, that is important to do anything difficult that's yeah. up there. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, right. that's at the top. Yeah. Okay. I gotta like, and there's probably also just up. like you do enough of anything and you realize like you're going to have good and bad times and good right. and bad days. And like, you know, you're, you write, I don't know, God, what, what have I typed a million words, 2 million words or something in the last right. 20 years. At some point you're like, some of them weren't good. Okay. You know? Right. 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 <laughs> it's like, it, you, it's, it's just less damaging to write a bad paragraph, you know, it's yeah. like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And like, think about, okay, if you're a photographer, think how many bad pictures you take and you just delete, right. them. you know Tons. what I mean? Yep. Like photographers never like looking at a bad picture. Like, Oh, I can't believe you took that one. Like, right. Boy, bad right. picture there. You know, yeah. it's like, you're looking how many pictures of your feet are in every roll of film when you're, yeah, right. photo, right? we don't have yeah. it quite off, you know, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Oh, one piece. Um, you know, I, I think if, if anything, it's that uh, the the place that I think you, you want to try to get to at some point, maybe this goes back to that first revision question, is you want to you want to write enough that like any individual story or any individual day's writing doesn't feel like it defines like the mm. totality of you as a writer, mm-hmm. you know, um, the hardest, 
the hardest thing is at the beginning where it costs you so much to write every story that you can't do anything with them and you can't hear criticism of them or it feels like you live or die by what people think about them. And eventually you will, you will be past that just because you'll have produced enough stuff that that not, no individual thing sort of feels like it's, it's live or die for you as a writer. Um, I think that's one of the reasons to write a lot when you're starting out is just to like produce enough material that you're sort of safe. Um, mm. And maybe the other, the other side of that is like when you're, when you're starting to share work with other people um, the biggest thing I did that I think protected my, my sense of self, like in grad school and things like that was I never workshopped the thing, the most recent thing I wrote. I was always one story past what I was workshopping. Yeah. Right. Um, so that it felt like, uh, whatever people said about it, I was already in the future. Um, and that made me safe. Um, even publishing books, like I always want to be like down the road in the next book when the, when this one comes out. So it's like, you can hate apple seed and it's like, cool, I'm, I'm doing this other thing now. Right. Um, and that's always kept me safe. I think from what people say about my work in a certain way. Yeah. I love that. More words on the page kind of balms a lot of this process, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt, where can people find you online? Where, where, where are your common haunts? Sure. Yeah. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I know at Twitter. 79. I know. <laughs> um, I've got a Substack at mattbell.substack.com, yep. mattbell.com for the website, any of those places. I'm around. Easy to find. Awesome. Matt, um, thank you so much. This has been such a fun and like technical. I really like this talk because it's like incredibly precise and technical. And I think the listeners will will just love the specificity of what we we spoke about. Um, and kind of we're able to cover. So refuse to be done. Um, as of right now, March 22nd, hopefully there's no awful supply chain issues that it's come going to be the opposite. It'll be March 8th, actually. Oh, it's coming up earlier. Oh, it's, oh, it's moving March up. March okay. 8th. Yeah. Oh, okay. The only book in the last two years that got my, moved up. <laughs> my goodness. Um, yeah. And, and it's pre-orders available, I believe on bookshop. I think I saw that you could pre-order sure. on bookshop. Yeah. Um, so be sure to check that out, especially if you're in that revision process. Um, Matt, thank you so much. This was such a great interview. I love your energy and your earnestness and, um, just your depth of storytelling technical knowledge is, is awesome. And it's, uh, I I'm grateful just to be able to tap into it even for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. Thanks so much, Brian. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again to Matt for his time. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. I read every single one of them, every single one. Also, check me out on Twitter. I am at the underscore Murfinator and also on Instagram at happywriter underscore co. Lastly, thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.